You've been lied to, but you don't know how. You've searched, you've struggled, you've cried out. You want the truth, but where is it? You've wandered, you've fought, you've strived, and you have not been satisfied. What is truth? Where is truth? Who is truth? The kingdom of God. Mind control. The last days. Higher dimensions. Unity. The power of faith. Discovering the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. God has promised that he will hide us under his feathers and under his wings we will trust. His truth shall be our shield and our buckler. Discovering the Truth with Dan Devon is the premier program that is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program is designed to show you how to become more than you have ever imagined through the power of truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And now, prepare for your host, Dan Duvall. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This program is designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth. Behind the lies, this program is a production of Bride Ministries, and you can find us at www.bridemovement.com and www.thefireplacechurch.org. Now, some of you pointed out, um, as you know, last week going into this week, oh, Daniel, you just sounded kind of under the weather. Um, were you battling something? Yes. I was under the weather. Thank you. I was coughing up all kinds of uh, wonderful blessings and putting things out of my nose that I'd rather not talk about. But you know what? We faithed our way through last week and made it. Praise God. So um, thank you for those of you that care. It's nice to know that someone's listening and caring about me. Now, I uh, am excited about the Fireplace Church as usual. We have moved it permanently to Sunday nights. And so there are no longer Friday night services. Um, we're hoping that everybody that was hanging out with us on Friday moves to Sunday so we can hang out like one big happy family. And that's the way we're going to leave it for now. Um, while we may branch off and do other nights in the future, uh, for now, it's just going to be the one service on Sunday nights. I do want to say a few things about those of you that have supported us financially one you're awesome two you're great three you're amazing four you guys are so special in my heart i i just really appreciate all of you and you know thanks to you guys i i mean we have had a, an amazing year in 2016 because of you we built the fireplace church did you know that the initial investment for that project was thirty thousand dollars 
And we built it debt free. And that's that we were a ministry that <clears throat> literally raised only a little over $40,000 in the entire year of 2015. Yet in 2016, those of you that listen to this program, you stepped up to the plate and you helped us to move to another level. We built an e-church first of its kind. We helped a number of survivors. Um, we discipled a whole lot of people. Hundreds of people came through discipleship last year. Um, we added staff to uh, you know help with the Fireplace Church, to um, help co- us communicate and keep up with all of you that write into this program. I mean, I'm telling you, you guys helped us to expand and grow this ministry in an incredible way. And I just want to say thank you. For those of you that gave last year, uh, you'll be getting donation statements real soon. We're going to be sending those off here uh, in, in just a couple days. And so look forward to that. It'll show up in your mailbox if we have your address. If we don't and we only have your email address, it'll show up in your email. Um, if you get nothing from us, be sure to contact us because that means something funny happened and we're going to make corrections and we're going to make sure we get it right. So, you know, guys, just know that that's all going to be arriving um, in the very near future. And I want to say to those of you that give, you know, you, you are just the best. So if you want to continue supporting us, which I highly encourage because we have so much we want to do in 2017, more than what we did in 2016, because we want to add to that a DID coaching school at some point. We want to be saving for that. We want to add um, a prayer response team this year. I I would really like to um, create a training, um, bring on some volunteers, and create a prayer response team for all of you that write in and need prayer from time to time and support for various things. It's just, you know, one more way that we can fulfill the Great Commission and expand the agenda of the Kingdom of God. So we're we're looking at it. you can donate to us at bridemovement.com or thefireplacechurch.org, or you can write us. We do have a new P.O. Box. It's P.O. Box 6173. That's P.O. Box 6173, Texarkana, Texas, 75505. And so with that said, um, I want to just throw out a couple more things. One, we have discipleship starting in the last week of January moving into February. We were going to start um, this week coming up after the weekend, but we're pushing all the classes back one week. Um, Give you guys a little bit more time to sign up before we're getting started. Uh, We realized it was kind of like a lot. You know, we came right off the holidays and then we had signed up for this uh, Mysteries of Human Spirit conference and then just starting classes right after that. It just, you know, kind of seemed like a lot. So we're pushing classes back one week. So I really want to encourage you, if you haven't taken one of our classes, or if you have, but you haven't taken them all, sign up for another one. Grace, In Christ, the Kingdom, Spiritual Warfare, they're all available. Um, A couple of those classes have had pretty low sign-ups so far, and if we don't have enough sign-ups, we may have to cancel the class altogether. So while Spiritual Warfare and Grace certainly aren't going anywhere, um, In Christ and the Kingdom are kind of on the fence. If we don't have some more signups in those, we will probably cancel them. And if you've already signed up for those, uh, of course, you'd get a refund. So um, with that said, uh, the Mysteries of the Human Spirit Conference is this weekend. I want to see you there. We're going to be getting into some really, really cool, really, really foundational and really, really not foundational teaching. It's going to 
span a lot of ground. Uh, we're going to go from the basics to the out there this weekend. And even if you can't do both days, I really want to encourage you to sign up for one. Um, Dr. Rob Ruckert is just has has an amazing foundation and a lot to say on this subject, the, the human spirit and what God has in store in so far as ministry to the human spirit and how that connects us in greater and deeper ways to the kingdom of God. Um, and, 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 and I'm going to be talking too, and, and we're going to be just going out there as well. And we're, we're going to be going into the deep mysteries of what this, you know, um, mysteries regarding the kingdom of God, mechanics of the spirit realm, and all of the blessings that God has for us as we grow spiritually. You know, understanding your spirit, man, takes the conversation of spiritual growth to another level, and we want you guys to be other level believers. So that's there for you. With that said, we're going to get into the program this week, which is a program on um, her mailbag. And we're going to be bringing Dr. Bailey in to help me answer some questions. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. back on Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall, and I'm going to tell you what, we are going to get into it again today with our mailbag, and the last time we did a mailbag program, which was the first time we did a mailbag program, uh, it was really well listened to. You guys seemed to eat it up, and Mm -hmm. so I said, wow, we have a winner here, and I told Nikki, Nikki, we're going to be doing this all year long. I think we're going to begin doing these programs about once a month. And so here we are. uh, We are in the month of January 2017, sitting down with Dr. Preston Bailey, who needs no introduction, and my executive assistant, Nikki, who also doesn't really need an introduction at this point because you guys know her better than you know me. And I'll tell you... (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you... Amen. It's, Dr. Bailey said, amen. Uh, we're going to get into it today <laughs> on a lot of the questions that you have. And since you guys knew that we were going to be doing a mailbag program, you wrote a bunch of questions, and I, I don't even know what they are. And neither does Dr. Bailey. So we're going in blind, uh, just like we did last time. Nikki's in the driver's seat, and she gets to have all the fun. So, you know, I'm not going to uh, waste any time with uh, further introducing the program. Nikki, thanks for being the host today. And... 
for uh, running the show. Yeah, thank you for having me, Daniel. I really enjoyed that last round, and I've been looking forward to it since last month. I think this is going to be super fun. Well, amen. The floor is yours, Nikki. Why don't you go ahead and ask away? All righty. The first question that came in is a two-part question. The first part is, why uh, don't you get rid of the altars? Um, And then the second part is, is keeping them active a good thing or a bad thing? Um, uh, Let me answer the second question first. Is keeping them a bad thing? Uh, No, but if a person has uh, DID from satanic ritual abuse, and they are cult altars, it is a bad thing. Because if a person has cult altars, they're programmed to do bad things. People can't, um, people can't uh, hear, I mean, people, people with the cult altars do all kinds of uh, bad things. Like for example, I talked to a woman last week. She had a cold altar, and she, the cold altar, threw her keys in the trash. And uh, that's some of the tamer stuff. An- another woman, um, uh, she was near uh, integration, and her husband was a deacon in a Baptist church. Uh, but her, she. She had been in a, a Illuminati cult, and uh, the cult altar came up, and she went out uh, to bars and things. And when she woke up the next day, she had a tattoo on her leg. Uh, so, if it's a cult altars or altars that are causing harm in any way. It's very important uh, that they be integrated or dealt with so that they don't cause harm to the person. The okay. other question, why don't you get rid of the altars? It is a false belief that you need to integrate all the altars. Uh, many counselors uh, try to do that. They try to integrate all the altars thinking that's the goal. No, the goal is a person with DID uh, to help them function in a healthy manner in life. Um, And uh, many uh, people with DID have altars that actually do their job for them. like if they work in an office or whatever the job is, it's actually not the host woman. It is the altars that do that job. So if those altars were gone away with and gotten rid of, um, it would, she won't know how to do her job. Uh, it's like one woman I counseled, um, she had a, a five-year-old altar who was an opera singer. 
And of all the altars she had inside, uh, a five-year-old was was uh, created watching the show Annie, and she's an opera singer now. And if you integrated that altar, um, she would not be able to sing uh, opera. Now, what do you think of that? Well, I, w- I would like to jump in right here and, and just echo what you just said, Dr. Bailey, because, you know, I think everybody as a novice will all uh, be inclined to assume that total integration is always the like, like the goal of everything, every time. And you actually explained this to me way back in the day, and I am so glad you did, because... Just like you said, um, when people lean on their parts to do essential components of their life, once those parts are integrated, the the mm, abilities of those parts, the clarity on the mechanics of how to do, say, job X, Y, or Z, fade. It all kind of fades and it's like putting a, you know, a bunch of ingredients in a pot of soup. At the end of the day, you just have soup. You don't have individual garlic and um, you know lettuce and potato it, it's just soup at that point so the specific skill sets tend to just kind of disperse and are not so uh, <laughs> available and so like you said um, sometimes it's more beneficial to leave certain parts separate until, say, the person's in a situation where, where they don't need that skill set anymore and the parts are all ready to integrate. And um, there's a lot of wisdom in what you just said that I, I don't think people would automatically just conclude. Mo- I mean, most would not. I, I, I'm, I'm really glad that this question was asked, Nikki, because, you know, a lot of people, they look at their dissociation as a problem and they just want their parts to go away because they're frustrated with what the parts are doing to them. You, you, like Dr. Bailey said, somebody had a part that threw away its keys. I remember I had one part that thought it was really funny to change the contacts in the contact case, make the person's eyes not, it's like everything's blurry. It's like, what's going on? And it's like, you know, but their part is switching their contact or doing things and la- actually laughing about it. You know, I thought it was funny. Um, mm-hmm. Well, the, the the thing that God told me, though, and, and this has really helped me to understand what I'm doing when I'm working with people, is that Jesus, he loves every part of us. Like, there is not a part of us that Jesus does not love. And so when I go in to work with a person, I will always explain to them, I said, no, you see, there isn't a single part of you that God does not love. And so you can't just look at your parts as something to dispose of and do away with. I mean, even if they are evil, they need to be ministered to and ultimately integrated. But they need the love of God. And if God can love your parts, you, with the help of Jesus, can love your parts. And the the power of the love of God on the inside of a system is so huge because that is a bridge that breaks the power of self-hatred and self-rejection, which I find to be a root at the core of dissociation. It's, it's this inspiration of hatred of self 
And that itself is an mm-hmm. open door for the enemy to attack and persecute a person. I got to tell you, what both of you said actually leads so perfectly into the next question that um, it's kind of crazy. And unless you guys want to add further to that, it'll transition, I think, fairly smoothly to this next question. Uh, I agree with Daniel what he said. And... Um, Many, many people with DID just hate their parts, and they refuse to talk to them. And I tell them what Daniel says, that they are a part of themselves, and, and God loves every part. Uh, that doesn't mean we're going to keep all the parts, uh, but especially the parts that cause problems uh, we need to integrate or whatever. And uh, the fear of rejection, um, worrying about acceptance, uh, uh, depression, and anxiety are many of the major uh, problems that affect that person every day in their life. So if you can deal with those issues in their life, it would help tremendously for them to live. That's good. That's good, Dr. Bailey. Do you have anything that you want to put on top of that, Daniel? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Go ahead, Nikki. No? Okay. (laughs) Okay, guys. Um, This next one, um, there's actually two questions that piggyback. Um, They're from two different people, but they go together well as a two-part question. So I'll tell you when the first part is done because it's more than one sentence. So the first question is, is it okay to be honest? Oops, sorry, that's the next one down. Sorry, guys. Um, is it okay to have a sexual relationship with the alters of your spouse? Um, and even if that alter is willing, is it always okay to do so? Like if, let's say, the alter is a child or, you know, um, any other circumstance that could come in. Is it always okay because the alter is willing or even initiate? I want to let you take the lead on this one, Dr. Bailey. Thank you so much, Daniel. Actually, uh, uh, that is a legal question, not a moral question, because there was a case in New York where a woman had 90 altars, uh, and a guy asked her out on a date, and he said yes. So they went out on a date, and uh, in the middle of them having sex, another altar came up, and she did not like that, and she said uh, no, and uh, the man eventually left. Uh, she uh, uh, took him to court, <clears throat> and the city of New York charged this man with rape uh, wow. even had sex with one altar the judge ruled this was the judge's ruling the judge says if a person has multiple personality disorder that he is to get permission from every one of the altars or it is rape now that's a shock I don't think anybody's having sex 
That is the you're you're correct, Nikki. And <laughs> Sorry. If if the if the boyfriend could find all the altars, uh, it would be a miracle. Uh, but uh, that's what the law says. But to answer your question from a moral standpoint, if she's married and she has DID, it's not morally right uh, for her to have sex with some other uh, guy that's single um, <clears throat> because uh, the, the Bible says uh, that adultery is wrong so that would be that would be adultery even though it's uh, other altars so uh, oftentimes, uh, women uh, with DID have been uh, molested or raped. Uh, therefore, uh, uh, for most alters, uh, uh, sex is a problem. Uh, I counseled one woman who who had uh, 330 altars, and her husband was a high-ranking individual in the military. <clears throat> and whenever he had sex, it was a five-year-old altar that had sex because the woman herself did not want to have sex with her husband. And so I told her, I said, never tell your husband that a five-year-old is having sex with him because it will, it will affect his attitude about sex. And he's married to that total person. Uh, so that's my uh, difficult. I can't believe what well, I can't believe is how well things are piggybacking off of each other. I mean, <laughs> right where you guys are ending an answer, literally leading into the leading into the next. And I will tell you that there are probably about a quarter of these are all sexual in nature. So, oh. um, obviously, I mean, in this day and age, people want to understand. They want to do what's right, and it seems like everything's more complicated. So this <laughs> one right here came from a man um, that kind of – it ties into what you were saying about that um, military officer, you know, not being okay, even though they're married, or, or basically it wouldn't be okay if he knew she was five, and then also right. for the wife not to, you know, just say, hey, I'm five while they're having sex with that because that could also be damaging. So this man writes in, and he says he has a female altar, and this altar is a lesbian. And this altar really likes his wife and wants to have sex with his wife. He wants to know if it would be wrong for his wife to have sex with his lesbian altar. Well, if I could just jump in and uh, kind of echo, I think, one of the 
most profound things Dr. Bailey just said. Um, if you're married to a person, you're married to that total person. Uh, and I think this is a, a, a <laughs> these are real questions that people are really waking up to and, and, and trying to people cope really with. do. I've because, seen it mm-hmm. the other way too, both ways on that. Yeah, and and you know the questions have been. You know, I, I'm just going to give a couple opinions and then turn it back over to to, to Dr. Bailey. But you know, I, I mean, I, obviously, I am talking to a lot of people as well, and some people that I work with are married, and some people that I work with are not. Obviously. If you're not married, well, sex is just not right, period. It's just that simple. Um, whether it's your alters or not, um, fornication, adultery, that anything outside of that marriage covenant is sin. Um, but many people are waking up to the fact that, oh, it's been my parts that are performing sex all this time. And, and they, don't, they, they never really connected that until they woke up to the fact that they were dissociated in the first place. And um, I, I think that what a lot of what God is doing with people that are dissociated is he's meeting them where they're, where they're at, right? God doesn't meet us in a place of wholeness in our lives. He meets us in that place of brokenness. And then he rebuilds our lives around the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so I think that, you know, when a person wakes up to the idea, well, um, it's been a five-year-old part that's been doing this job. That becomes uh, reason for them to say, hey, I'm going to heal in such a way that it's not a five-year-old part of me that's doing this anymore. Um, just like when, you know, we come to God and it's like, oh, you know, I'm um, getting drunk on the weekends. Well, the Bible says, be not drunk with wine where is excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. You know, God's going to convict us of that alcohol problem and work it out of our lives. And we're going to take a journey with him. Um, so the Bible says, you know, we're not of those that draw back unto perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. And there's a, uh, a sanctifying process, a saving process that we go through on a daily basis with God, where he takes us from one degree of reflecting his nature to another until we look more and more like him. So a journey of a person that's dissociated, even in their area of sexuality, is it, it's going to follow the same pattern in my mind. Um, just because a person wakes up and realizes, oh, um, this is actually the way this has been working in my mind, um, doesn't mean that suddenly all bets are off. But it does mean in my mind, wait a minute, we got some work to do because I should be, as the person that married my husband or wife, the one that is making love to my husband or wife and not the parts of me that I'm leaning on as a crutch to do something that I'm not healed enough to do yet. So that's just my opinion. And of course, I could be wrong here. Um, So Dr. Bailey, what are your thoughts? Well, I I think this question is um, actually more of an existential question than anything. Uh, That means it exists in your mind based on your perception of that event. Uh, Three people can look at the same event and get different perceptions. So, uh, a person uh, with DID often marries someone who is abusive. So because of that, I tell people with DID not to uh, tell 
their mate unless it starts becoming a problem because uh, most most uh, psychologists I mean most psychiatrists do not understand DID uh, so if sci- psychiatrists have trouble understanding it just imagine a layperson and the same is true with friends uh, women have what's called the huddle effect uh, I have six sisters I'm the only boy so please don't make fun of me um, and they always want to do female things uh, most women with DID have a male altar um, because it's it's like the one woman I counseled uh, her her father was very mean and they had to go down a steep hill and get water from the river because they didn't have any water so she here she is five years old and she goes down the hill and uh, carries the two big uh, buckets of water and to deal with that, a male altar was created because her perception is that a male was stronger than a female. So only that male altar carried the water after that. And there are many women with DID that have male altars because they believe that is uh, a task they need for a male. Um, I, I agree with what Daniel said, uh, but I would say a lot of it has to do with how your present husband is treating you. Um, but if a wife tells her husband that she has DID and that Whenever she has sex, he's really having sex with a four-year-old, uh, that's going to blow his mind. And after that, every time he wants to have sex, he's going to be thinking, well, am I committing uh, uh, child abuse by having sex with my wife who has a four-year-old altar? And that is not healthy for any relationship. Nikki, mm-hmm. do you say so? We, the wife, uh, she needs to just deal with this in her own mind, and if if the man thinks he's lesbian and has a female altar uh, and he has sex with his wife then that's not homosexuality that is that is a psychological perception problem you see what I'm referring to so like people with DID they'll see a castle or whatever in reality there is no big giant castle mm-hmm. 
so everybody has a philosophy of making decisions. My philosophy of making decisions is what I call uh, I call uh, a practical uh, a pra pragmatic philosophy uh, that's biblical based which simply means I'm willing to consider all options except those that are against what the Bible teaches. And the mm -hmm. same is for these women or men that have a DID. Uh, and if the man thinks he's a woman and has sex with his wife, it's, it's not healthy for him uh, to do it in his psyche. Mm -hmm. So the counselor needs to talk to him and just say, you know, the Bible forbids homosexuality uh, in the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 and all, all over the, the Bible, Old and New Testament. So theologically, uh, that's the answer, but uh, pragmatically, if if the man doesn't know that she has DID, uh, and let's say he is very abusive, I knew one man, uh, and his wife had DID. He would tie her arms and legs to the bed, and would you? Uh, would you say that's a problem? Mm-hmm. Sure. So, yes, and and uh, he knew she had DID, so he would use that to his advantage. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it cre he created more pain for her because he would be looking uh, for situations when she would switch and find out what uh, that altar did and use it to his advantage. Uh, so really sad. It, 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 is, it is sick. I, uh, you know, everybody tells them, we'll call the police. Well, this was another state. And uh, one, one day he, he pushed uh, the boy down and hit him. He was only six years old. So I did call the police. I used to be chairman of the governor's task force on child abuse. Uh, I would catch child abusers, and so I know a lot about that. Uh, so sometimes there's a fine line uh, between uh, discipline and child abuse. So uh, we often, as counselors, project our values onto the client. Uh, and she or he has problems because they don't have health, healthy boundaries. 
mm-hmm. life. So um, coming back, Nikki, to the the question that you just asked um, from this gentleman and saying, suggesting, okay, well, um, in this specific example, I'm a man, but I have a part that is a female who is a lesbian who wants to make love to my wife. Now, this is what I think. And this is, again, this is an opinion thing. Um, okay, base level, right? Man marries woman and man and woman consummate that marriage. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, mm-hmm. But when, say, and this is where what Dr. Bailey said, again, has so much wisdom. Uh, for the man's psyche, now we're getting into a place of unhealthiness because what we're doing is we're saying, okay, so we are going to give ourselves over to a um, a dissociated personality state that owns a female um, uh, identity. So now in the mind, we as that that man is a female in his mind, making love to a female. So that mm-hmm. then pulls into his psyche a situation that is homosexual in nature, which, you know, um, I mean, that gets into sins of the mind. I, I and, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm kind of oversimplifying this again because, I mean, with DID, things can be extremely complex in the spirit realm. I understand that sometimes, you know, male and female alters will actually appear male and female in the spirit realm. And that does create another level of this. But, the, you know, if he is already able to have, you know, a relationship with his wife as a presenter, as a man, for me, it would be healthier for that to stay the way it is and to just work on healing the part that is the lesbian and not giving mm-hmm. over to, okay, let's make this a part of, let's build this into my lifestyle now. I'm going to let this part run free and I'm going to begin to engage sexually from this place of brokenness in me because with that that's going to feed it. And it's going to probably take the person further away from healing and, instead of moving them closer to that place of wholeness in Jesus Christ um, from a big picture perspective. Okay. Thank you. That was actually a, a really uh, concise uh, answer, Daniel. Um, and, you know, we have another family. We have several family-type questions as well. Um, and this one, I think, is a really, really good. It says, is it okay to be honest with your children regarding having alters, you know, as the parent? And if this is so, what is an age that would be an appropriate time to wait until, you know, your kids might notice these things in you. And, you know, when should you be honest or should you not be honest? Failure to tell someone the truth is not lying and it is not being dishonest. I don't think in most cases the wife should tell her husband that she has DID unless the husband is has proven over time over time that he is uh, caring and supportive and he he wants to help her then I think it's it's okay you see, the, the problem is people 
there's the works of the flesh, and that is our main problem. Uh, in most cases, people say, I need deliverance. In most of the cases, the problem is a work of the flesh, not a demon. Um, so, I would say don't tell the children. Um, what about well, once they're adults? Once they're adults, uh, that's fine. Okay. And then they're going to ask, well, why didn't you tell me as a child? And I would, and I would say it's, it's because um, most children don't understand a complex problem called dissociative identity disorder. And it's, it's very... Um, very difficult to understand and can be very confusing and I didn't want it to affect uh, my relationship with you because I, if she has for example a, a sex altar uh, and the child for whatever reason likes that uh, she would hug the mother, and in her little mind, it it was sexual. So it would create, I think it would create more problems than being solved. I, I know that there's a lot of complicated problems today. My wife is uh, elementary principal at school, and parents uh, today have a lot of sexual problems and they think that they can tell their children everything. Some mothers say, my child, my daughter, who's six years old, is my best friend. Well, see, that's absurd. Uh, a counselor, if a counselor is a female and she's counseling a woman with DID and let's for the say for the sake of argument, she she's drawn to her in a sexual way sometimes, which happens. I would say uh, there is three main issues in counseling that all counselors need to be aware of. One of them is called transference. Uh, the transference that the, that the counselee has uh, towards their counselor. So they are drawn to that counselor. And if they respond, uh, then it's called a counter-transference issue, where the counselor uh, is sexually drawn to the client. And they can cause serious problems. I was involved mm -hmm. in the case here where a, a counselor would, on purpose, switch to a young child altar and let him sit on his lap. So the counselee would sit on his lap and he would 
fondle her and things. Oh. Uh, and he had a counter transference problem, and I was going to testify against him. Uh, so there's a lot of issues involved that we don't think of. So I don't. Uh, so to be clear, I don't think. A mother, a mother or father should tell their children they have DID because they just wouldn't understand it. You, your children may get along great with you, but if only 1% of psychiatrists who are trained uh, believe in that there is dissociative identity disorder, then I doubt that your child will. Well, you know, that kind of leads me, Dr. Bailey, into the next question, which is about um, an older parent and an adult child. So let's say that there is a family who has had very good experiences, and they feel like a happy, um, well-put-together family. And uh, let's say that the mother uh, starts getting memories in her 60s of satanic ritual abuse, um, is able to confirm it with others and then realize that they had been a cult family and that she had actually abused her her children. Um, should she tell her, she's pretty sure her kids don't remember. Like I said, the family seems great. No one seems to have any issues. Is she responsible to let her children and her husband know what's going on? And is she responsible to tell her children that she abused them when she was in an altered state? Or where are the rules in that situation? Are you saying that the mother abused the children? Yes, in an altered state. She just now, in her 60s, is recalling that, you know, she has dissociative identity disorder and that their family, including her husband and her children, had been a cult active family. But no one had shown any signs of it, and it was, you know, a very, you know, nice-looking family. Well... Actually, it becomes more of a legal problem than a counseling problem. Uh, if, if, say, for the sake of argument, they killed a child, uh, many, many large cults sacrifice a child, um, then there is no uh, statute of limitations on... On, on death, on murder. Um, if she tells her to her adult children, then is she, is she still married? Yeah, she's fine. They look like a great family. Um, nobody is having any sort of issues or anything, but um, I don't know. She was feeling a little bit depressed, you know, this and that. They would take her into counseling. Lo and behold, she has repressed memories and comes to the realization that her life has had two different sides of it. And um, so then wants to know her children who are like, you know, in their early 40s and have their own families, does she have an obligation to tell them they were abused in a satanic cult or leave them alone? Um, because she doesn't really know. Maybe they do remember and they feel like they're forgiving and the mother would like to apologize. So how would one balance that out? And then also, is she obligated to um, tell her husband, who also truly seems um, oblivious, and not that he's hiding anything? 
uh, but he was in the same cult, is that right? Yes, as an entire family unit, they were involved. Yes. I would, I would say, like any problem, uh, how to solve it. I would make a list of uh, uh, the good reasons to tell them. Then I'd make another list of the negatives if you told them. Um, I think there would be more negatives, and it would open Pandora's box for her and her husband. And that means they abuse, They had to abuse their children. They had to create mm-hmm. pain and trauma for their children, uh, which is child abuse. Some some states now, uh, usually there's a limit uh, on child abuse, but some states is not. So uh, they could be arrested if if she tells the police or if she tells her children and one child just flips over it and gets furious and she tells the police, then what's going to be the natural consequences? Mm-hmm. It, it's not going to be very good. And what will her husband think of her? Her, her squealing. It's, if it's not against the law, it's automatically reported in that state. Um, it actually sounds like her main problem has nothing to do with child abuse directly. Her main problem is is dealing with uh, rejection and uh, related issues. Because once she tells and word gets out, uh, she will not have any friends because they don't understand it. And they would say, well, she admitted to abusing her children as a child, and if she uses the word cult, then people will intentionally stay away from her. Uh, I I don't see the positive. It's not gonna help her family, it's gonna, cause her family to implode so um listening to dr bailey i um these are tough questions nikki and i think dr bailey is bringing a lot of wisdom to the table here now in, in ephesians 4 there's this conversation around speaking the truth in love speaking the truth in love and you know one of the snares of the devil is to tell people, you know, well, just blab anything. Um, as long as you believe it's true, then you got to say it. And uh, that that's usually not going to get a person anywhere positive. As a matter of fact, they'll end up with their foot in their mouth. One of the things that God has spoken to me is, says, listen, the, the truth is always spoken in love. Um not even Jesus will give us the whole truth all at once. God takes us through teaching 
and revelation. And he'll take us from one degree of understanding to the next in regards to things of his kingdom, things of his nature, our, our identity in him. He won't tell us our whole identity in him the day we get saved. He takes us on a journey to explain that to us, right? So even the nature of God is this idea that he's speaking to us the truth in love. And, and he said to me, you know, Daniel, that's the right truth at the right time with the right motive, and so um, there, there's there, 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 the, the truth and love can get confused on a lot of points in my mind, right? It, it can be the wrong time, or it can be the wrong truth, <laughs> or it can be the wrong motive. And, um, you know, Dr. Bailey's bringing up a lot of good points, right? Because if, if the problem is rejection, and that's inspiring communication of things that's only going to create pain, then that's not the right truth at the right time with the right motive. Um you know, if it's the wrong time, then it's just not, there are certain things that you can't just drop on somebody um, if they're not ready for it. The the only thing that can happen is that there's a backfire that creates more pain. I think that's a lot of the the conversation that Dr. Bailey is bringing up. Um, You know, when your children are very young, the, the timing may not be right because they're not going to quite understand. Um, I think that, you know, there is a place where communication can help in, in a healthy way. Um, but I, I think one of the things that it requires is a, is, is a group of people, you know, adult children or older children and, and, and adults that all understand what this conversation is in the first place. There has to be a context at the very least, in my opinion, for um, honesty to really begin to uh, come to the table on the reality of what happened. You know, does it get struck from the record? Like, you know, in my mind, I think that open dialogue can be healthy in some cases between parents and older children. But um, that has to be really uh, led of the Lord, in my opinion. In my opinion, it has to be led of the Lord. It has to be at the right time. There has to be a context, at the very least. So those those are just my thoughts, um, in addition to everything Dr. Bailey has said. Well, I could make the question a lot worse very quickly. So, <clears throat> Yeah, so let's say that um, the mother, obviously, she is in her 60s. Um, and, you know, she was the parent of her children, but her children are now like full-fledged adults in their 40s with their own children entering college. And this 60-some-year-old woman who's been the perfect mother, perfect grandma, perfect church wife, realizes that her life is in danger and she has to leave. She either, A, can abandon her entire family without giving them a reason, or B, she can put it all out on the table and ask God to take care of it. It is. It's a false. It's a false belief that Christians are to tell everything they know to others. Um, it's like Daniel said. Uh, the Book of Proverbs said we need wisdom. <clears throat> um, actually, the Bible says it is foolishness if we just blurb out everything we know. Uh, I encourage her to read the book of Proverbs. Uh, uh, Secondly, I wonder why she is so hepped up on telling the family. Because it's not Uh, safe for her. She's being abused because her husband's called active and her adult 
children are called active and they're a tight unit and her extended family. So the only safe thing for her to do because she does split and she can be triggered is to leave. So if she leaves and says, I'm doing this for my own health and doesn't say a word to her husband or children other than God told me to go, then that's going to be a breakdown in relationship. So would the more wise thing be to have an honest conversation? Are you saying that she's being abused now? Yes. Okay, that's a legal problem. She needs to she needs to call the police and and just deal with this issue that her husband is abusing her. And her forty year old children. If the man is abusing the wife the law calls that domestic violence. Uh, each state is different on that, but it is becoming more uh, more uh, lenient towards the wife, and they have shelters. Or uh, one woman I counseled was her husband abused her worse than anybody I've ever known. Um, every time he'd see her, he would uh, he would hit her and beat on her, and she would fall to the floor and get in a fetal position, and that's what she would do every day, several times a day. So I said, do you want to call the police? She said, no. So uh, we... I started a support group for battered women. So we asked us, I told her about getting evidence. So um, every time he abused you, I, I told her to write it down, the date and time, and your clothes that are torn or bloody in a bag and staple it and put the date. So she did that, and I said, you need to go you have all of this evidence here. And I said, uh, taking a, a diary of his abuse is legal evidence in court. Most don't realize that. So she took, when she was ready, she says, I'm ready. She took her diary and all of the bags of clothes and, and everything else. And we had a woman go with her, <clears throat> went to the police station. Uh, showed the evidence. Uh, the police said, uh, let me take you to the judge. Uh, so the judge ordered a restraining order against him. He is to not come within 500 yards of the house uh, or their teenage daughter uh, and the wife. So when this guy who has beaten this woman for years, uh, he thinks he can get away with anything. The policeman is standing there, and uh, he puts him in handcuffs. And uh, it was traumatic for him, which I was glad. So it threw the scumbag in the back of the police car and put him in jail, 
he he got a lawyer, but because she had such good evidence, when she went to court, the judge gave him the best chewing out I've ever heard from a judge. And he said, normally I give 50-50 in the state. Uh, he says, but I give the house to the woman. And uh, anything, anything else or any money, <clears throat> it's 60-40. 60% for the woman and 40% for the man. And... Uh, so he was scared to death. He thought what he considered normal was beating his wife. Uh, just counseling the woman changed the scenario. You see what I'm saying? Now, mm -hmm. every case is a little bit different. But this wife needs to learn to shut her mouth just being blunt. And uh, because if she tells everything she knows, it's foolish. Uh, bringing, uh, people think, well, if I just tell the judge uh, that he's in a cult, then he will side with me and not my husband. That's actually a false belief. If you... If you say that this person is in a satanic cult, it doesn't help you. It it hurts you in the court. There's only been, in the United States, 72 cases of people convicted because of direct involvement in the satanic cults. And that's out of 300 million people. So you have to deal with what's practical. So, I, I, I do want to add one thing that has been going through my mind since you kind of rehashed that question a little bit, Nikki. And mm -hmm. the, the, the key word was her, her, she's in danger. Now, uh, the, the, this is what goes through my mind as a reasonable you know, person. If I have somebody that is putting me in danger and let's just say it's because they're violent well i'm not going to say hey violent person that's putting me in danger here's a knife and some throwing darts and a chinese star here you go because i don't want to arm them with more by which they can do damage to me and and so right um like the police say, anything that you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. If she's already in a, a compromised situation because there is abuse and control and manipulation, what it sounds to me is that the husband is the handler. He's making sure that the family stays in enough of a state of trauma that they do not wake up to the reality of what they have been involved in their whole lives. And he is going to have parts that are very, very interested in shutting down any breaks in the program. So if she were to go and say, oh, here, honey, let me explain to you everything I'm learning. Well, that's like the Chinese star and the throwing darts and the knife. Here you go. Um, 
so here's some more with which to hurt me. So then, you know, that just gives more fuel for the accusations that will come later on down the road when her actions say she does leave, create any kind of degree of discomfort for the cult or the guy or whatever. That's my thought. I would, I would agree with that, Daniel, but I've already said a wife should not talk to her husband, especially if he's abusive. And that's one of the reasons why. Um, I've, I've seen horrible things happen. So I encourage them to leave, but the actual studies show this, of people that have been abused, 80% of them, uh, of the 80% of 80% that leave uh, after one month, 80% of all of those women who leave because they are, were abused, within a month, 80% of them come back to that abusive husband. Uh, unfortunately, that's the statistics. So that's why I'm saying the woman has to psychologically be prepared to leave. Uh, because America is a free country, if if she doesn't want to leave, uh, nobody can make her leave. If if she's having a fight with her husband, then the domestic violence law takes in, which is in most states, and the police have to arrest somebody, and they'll probably arrest him. And so he'll spend the night in jail, and the next morning he'll get out. So you have to solve the problem long term. And in a case like this, the the woman who is the client, she needs to be strong enough uh, mentally to get out. Now, if she thinks she's in danger. In every major city, uh, there's usually a, a female shelter where women and their families uh, can go uh, if he's abusive. But they're not going to let those women stay there the rest of their life. They've, they still have to uh, be ready in their minds uh, to leave this man and get a divorce. And if children that are in their 40s uh, refuse to tell, I mean, that's kind of unthinkable, but... Uh, well, it wasn't that the children weren't telling. What it was was that <clears throat> the wife was the first one to get the revelation from the Lord about um, their family dynamics. So now she has, you know, two adult children that she's very close to and has a very good relationship with because they, too, have front altars. And she has grandchildren as well. Um, and so then does she just walk away and not tell her children? I, I understand what you're saying about the husband, and we have fully covered that, but what about the mothers out there who will not abandon their children? 
They will abandon any husband before they will abandon their children. So if we're going to address this right, we have to talk about what they're going to do with their adult children. Yes. So do the children live on their own or in the same house? No, they're successful and have their own lives. I think the solution is the woman needs to move in with uh, children who let her stay there. Uh, I think it is important to not tell the husband where she is. Alrighty. Okay, uh, this is another good one. Um, what is the most effective way to start internal communication? Because most of the therapeutic process is actually done on your alone time with the tools that you learned or the freedom you received in your particular session. So what is the best way to start dialogue within yourself in your alone time? Yes, you're, you're exactly correct. Um, usually they don't want to come out with a counselor. But uh, uh, a person with DID needs to just, when they're sitting by themselves, uh, they need to talk to their alters, and they need to just say something. They say, uh, they say to themselves, I've got a problem. Uh, could you tell me what it is, uh, what, what I can do to solve it? And wait, uh, wait a minute. And then an altar pops up. Uh, a woman, a psychologist, female psychologist, called me and said, could you sit in this session? I think the patient I've been seeing for three years, uh, eight hours a week, has DID. I said, sure. So this is the exact conversation. I went in there. I said hello to the to the psychologist and... I said hello to the woman, and I said hello. It's nice to meet you. I said uh, I just want you to know I'm, I would never do anything to harm you. I said, do you hear voices? She says yes. I said are the voices on the outside or the inside? She says they're on the inside. I said, uh, do they have any names? She said yes. I said, what's the name of one of them? She says, one of them is named Madeline. She says, can I talk to Madeline? She says, um, I don't know how to access her. I said, I'm not uh, asking for you to access her. I'm asking for permission, which probably has never happened in this woman's life. So you could see visually she changed. I said, what is your name? She said, my name is Madeline. And I, I said, well, what is your job? What's your responsibility? So she told me. And so I wrote it down. I wrote down the responsibility, what she does. I said, do you know anybody else? She said, yes, I know Kathy. I said, I said I'd like to talk to Kathy. And in two hours, uh, I found all of the altars, there were 68 altars. I talked to all of them by name. And I was a stranger, I'd never seen this woman before. So I handed the list to the counselor. I said, now you just have to talk to each one of these about their problems and integrate them. So I told her how to do it. 
it's it's not the, the main problem is anxiety uh, I, I made a probably a very brief video of a woman and on how to how to access altars inside someone so uh, the big psychiatric hospital in New York wanted it, so I sent it to them. And I talked to one of the psychiatrists there, and he said, he said, you know, I'm sure of the patients here, uh, there's a lot of people with DID, but I've only seen one. And uh, they had the psychiatrist watch my video. It was just very short like 10 minutes so people yes. people are often scared and they're scared of themselves and sometimes the host is mean to the altars I said you need to change your attitude towards your altars <clears throat> what were you going to say uh, I was just going to say that, that what you said was I mean of course is really good and um, I know that Dr. Bailey, I mean, you were the one that taught me how to even connect with um, altars and people in the first place. And uh, one of the simplest ways to do it, if you have someone present um, that you trust, if you are the one that's associated, is to have someone ask, is there anyone on the inside that would like to come up and talk to me? Yeah. Uh, that, that simple question can open up things mm -hmm. really, really fast. And uh, I mean, Dr. Bailey is the one that told me about that. So. Uh, I, I did want to just throw out there when you were talking, I was kind of laughing to myself because I said, you know, everything has a, it, it goes two ways. One of the more interesting things I've seen is where people's parts are mean to the presenter. And it's like the presenter gets bullied by their parts on the inside or laughed at or sneered at. And it's like, ha ha, you're the one stuck out there. Like I, I've actually seen it go both ways where I'm like sitting there talking through the presenter at the parts. I'm like, hey, guys, I know you're back there. Come on. Let's be nice. We, we can work this out. <laughs> so um, it just just it, it, it every situation is can be radically different. And um, I, I don't know. But I, I think what you were saying was really great, Dr. Bailey. Uh, okay. Well, that kind of takes me. Oh, I'm sorry, Dr. Bailey. Go right ahead. So it's, it's much easier than people think, and uh, Daniel is correct. All we have to do is ask, and, and my clients, I tell them the same thing. I tell them um, just, I, they, I say, I need this information. She says, I can't access it at this time. So I write things down for her and what to access and she takes it home and all you have to do is just um, just ha just say to the altar just say I'd like to talk to you uh, I think you can help me with this problem and you, you have to treat them nice like uh, Daniel said so I would venture to say that most 
women I've counseled started out being mad at their altars and refusing to talk to them. So it needs to be a two-way communication. Okay. And, and if they're very difficult to access, uh, I will say, um, you know, at the end, I say, does anybody inside want to talk to me? One of them is a, a scientist alter that deals with quantum physics. So they they talk to me about quantum physics, and it's easier to access that alter. So then it's easy after I talk to that alter. It's easier to access the next one and the next one. Um. Yeah make it too difficult and I, I think the only thing that I would add to that is just you know just because it wasn't said yet uh, journaling is one of the really great ways for people to get in touch with their parts um, and of course there's a difference between journaling and channeling for the purpose of doing automatic writing which is a cult uh, because you're channeling demons um, there's a difference between letting a person's alters write in their journal, which may come out in different handwritings. Uh, yeah. You know, a five-year-old may not be able to spell the word circumvent. <laughs> so, it, it, you know, um, it's okay to spell the word wrong when the five-year-old is writing. Uh, but that's one way that, you know, many, uh, both secular and Christian um, coaches, counselors, whatever, have, have found to help people connect with their parts. And I also have used what I call group meetings when it's possible. Um, if there's enough parts that are uh, uh, that the presenter and the other parts themselves are aware of because the amnesic walls have been broken down, um, people that are dissociated can actually set up a safe place on the inside where they will, you know, j just during a quiet time, can go and have a meeting with their parts and they can do things like take votes on, hmm, what should we have for dinner today or how long are we allowed to go shopping on the weekend or, you know, it's, it's things like that to make life more manageable for everyone on the inside. So, like, uh, having times uh, where a person goes inside of their own, what I would call system and uh, converses with their major parts um, it can be really, really helpful along a healing journey. Yeah, okay. I, I agree. That's an excellent way. <clears throat> but um, right, well, thank you for that, guys. Um, uh, yeah, what, I have another. Oh, I'm sorry. What, go ahead. What's really amazing is uh, this woman. Her father was a satanist, and her her uh, her mother got a divorce, and so her stepfather was into Santeria. So one week she was abused by Satanism and the next week she was abused by Santeria. It must have been horrible. I don't know how she survived. So I asked her, I said, uh, could you draw your system for me? So she went home and uh, she drew it she drew uh, 
four big lines, and on each uh, line, she drew, she wrote down all of the altars uh, in that one section, like in Satanism. Then in another line, she wrote the names of another section. Then she wrote a line of all of the altars uh, in Santeria, and then she wrote another line with the rest of the altars. So it was uh, very easy, and <clears throat> she had a problem with going places at night. She says, I have a day life and a night life, which most SRA DID people have. So I said, I don't want you to go out after dark. And I wrote it down, do not go out after dark. And I gave it to her. And then she had a bag of pins with her. And I, I couldn't believe it, but she had uh, altars for groups of four. She had 440 altars. And she got a different color pen and wrote on that piece of paper, uh, I, uh, they would sign their name, meaning they would not go out after dark. So teamwork is very important. She, she had all different colors. I, hmm. I just couldn't believe it, so... Um, well, thank anyway. you for that answer. Um, another question that um, has been asked more than once is, uh, Jesus, Jesus simply spoke the word and people were delivered, regardless of the circumstance, whether it was physical or demonic. Um, and so why is it such a process for us? Uh, can, all right. I want to actually jump in on this one because I had a really interesting mm -hmm. experience just this past Monday. Uh, it, so... I was sitting in session with someone and they begin to explain to me uh, th that they are now perceiving themselves in what I would call regions of captivity, different types of prisons. Uh, they, they first described a prison with like this giant bat creature standing over. It's like I see myself in this prison and it's dark and uh, this giant bat creature standing over me or whatever. And then I see myself in this other prison and whatever. And there's another one over there. And this is like, so, so they have parts of them that are in different places uh, I would say that these are on, you know, different planes or dimensional spaces, components of the spirit realm, whatever have you. And uh, they're, they're all in captivity all at once. So this is what I did. I actually said to them, um, well, you know, the man came to Jesus and he said to Jesus, only speak the word and my servant will be healed. And, and so I said, look, I'm going to speak. And I'm going to say you're free. And when I do, all of your parts are going to be free and every demonic entity is going to be judged immediately. And then I looked, <laughs> just looked at them and said, you're free. Now, they were in shock because they, it actually everything got set free all at once. It was it, it, immediately. And all the demonic and everything, it just got judged and wiped out. And it, it was instantaneous. Um, and it took two words. Nikki, it has taken me 
uh, 11 years of walking with the Lord in very radical ways to arrive at a place where in that place of the anointing, I can move in that kind of power. Um, Mm -hmm. Nobody starts there. And I think that what people don't recognize is that the power that Jesus demonstrated and modeled is not where we start because we have to grow in Christ-like nature and into the power that he has for us. We, we, he, he can't just trust us to walk in this kind of power that he demonstrated as, you know, fully God, fully man walking the earth um, for those years in, in the New Testament. Is it available? Yes. But what is it going to cost us? What is that cost of discipleship to walk and move like Jesus walked and moved? And that's the part of the conversation no one seems to want to have. So Mm -hmm. instead of walking in that power, most Christians walk far beneath it because they never pay the price of discipleship. They never grow in their maturity. And therefore, God isn't uh, bestowing upon them increasing levels of authority. Uh, you know, and, and that's the way I look at it. Anyway, I, I'm really interested to see what Dr. Bailey has to say on this one. May I say something real quick? I, I think I think a really good example is how when the apostles first went out, they were basically jeered out of towns and the demons attacked them and they had no luck. And they're like, what is going on? Right. And then by the end, when you get to the book of Acts, there are people who are healed just by coming under Peter's shadow. So it was a growth in authority. You go from you know, basically running out of town to just being a shadow um, of healing. Hmm. Yes, I, my uh, response is sanctification. Sanctification theologically means uh, the process of being made holy. And uh, I don't want people with DID to be discouraged by what I'm going to say, but a lot of their healing has to do with the their degree of faith. Um, people are at different spiritual levels, and, um, you know, if if they refuse to talk to their altars, uh, they're not going to be healed very fast. So their attitude needs to be, almost all of them want to be healed. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about they need to recognize their authority in Christ, uh, sitting in heavenly places, they need to not be scared of the devil. Uh, it's it's just a matter of uh, faith. I counseled one woman that had a uh, hundred thousand altars, and I talked to every one of them. So the way that they would be healed is 
she was a satanic high priestess. Um, the way she was healed, um, I would say, uh, how many uh, were have the job of being an assassin, like assassin? And I said, the Holy Spirit is going to talk to you right now. So the Holy Spirit would talk to them. They shouldn't kill. I said, now, is everybody, is every one of the 500 uh, willing uh, to regret and, and repent of murdering people? So they would say, yes. Uh, oftentimes there'd be one altar that wouldn't do it. So I said, you know, I had that altar to leave the room. So then I would integrate 500 all at the same time. And like they would say, um, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I renounce and reject uh, being a trained program assassin and murdering people. And I claim by faith he was nailed to the cross of Christ and covered by the blood of the Lamb and is null and void. In Jesus' name, amen. And I would pray that they would be cleansed of any evil and that God would heal, that the great physician would heal them. And then I would pray and integrate all 500 at the same time. So each person is unique. I have six I have six sisters and I know very well each woman is unique. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you have to treat each person as an individual. And you just have to encourage the host to talk to the altars. And uh, if the altars have grown spiritually, I will often have the altar pray themselves uh, for their integration. And oftentimes, their prayers are much better than mine. So, hmm. usually, so studies show that people with DID are smarter than the average person. Uh, so, so the cult creates fear in them, so they will not be healed. Uh, Healing removes fear. Uh, so we need to get rid of fear. So we, uh, they need to memorize scripture verses and biblical truths to overcome fear. And they often feel guilty. I said, why do you feel guilty? They said, because of such and such. I go, why did Jesus die on the cross? They say, to forgive us of all of our sins. I said, but 
if you feel guilty, that means you believe Jesus died on the cross for some of your sins because you feel guilty over this. I said, Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins so we don't have to feel guilt and shame. Amen. I, um, I'm going to have to jump in here and say we are like out of time. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Bailey you did outstanding as always. And Nikki, you did a great job. Folks, um, I'm just going to add one last thought here and then we're, we're, we're going to have to go. Uh, one last thing that I, I, I have noticed uh, that holds things up, or I should say two, um, but but one of them has to do with legalities, and it's it is always contending over uh, the rights, um, whether they're genetic rights or covenant rights or hidden inheritances, all kinds of stuff that uh, <clears throat> if they aren't even identified, it 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 creates a loophole. For a uh, well, there's just no breakthrough uh, that that's able to be maintained. I've also noticed that physical technologies such as implants create huge conflict that isn't resolved through the you know just casting out a demon. It, you know, an implant and a demon are two very different things. And so people that have the ringing in the ears and it's like, well, let's cast out the ringing in the ear demon. It's, well, it doesn't solve anything. It's because it's not ringing in the ear caused by a demon. It's because you have audio implants. So, you know, there's other components of this conversation that we don't have time to get into. And Dr. Bailey could go on for days, guys. So, I, I, yeah. <laughs> um, go ahead, Dr. Bailey. I said, don't don't tell all my secrets. Don't tell all the secrets. Well, you know what? I'll tell you what. You have plenty more to let us know about. You, you know, folks, uh, you've been listening to Discovering the Truth. Dr. Bailey, thank you so much. By the way, if you want to check them out at www.spiritualwarfarecenter.com. Of course, you can visit us at bridemovement.com and thefireplacechurch.org. Until next time, folks, God bless and Godspeed. Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall is the premier radio program designed to center you on the kingdom of God, to equip you with faith in Jesus Christ, and to unveil the truth behind the lies. This program has been a production of Bride Ministries. You can find us at www.bridemovement.com At our website, you can contact us access resources, and support us with donations. We need partners in order to continue to produce our vision, which is to promote unity in the body of Christ worldwide and assist in the creation and development of sheep nations. Partner with us and be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 